Russell Doughton Jr. went to Yale, and he paid a lot of money to go to Yale, and he was really excited about what he learned when he got to Yale, but he was a little bit disappointed when he found out that one of his first professors said he didn't believe the Bible was true. He said, it's not true at all, and that, that threw him off a little, and so he decided, well, I'm not just going to reject the Bible because somebody said it. I'm going to study it for myself and figure this out. And so he diligently began to study the Bible, and he discovered that about 30%, maybe 28 to 30% of the Bible is predictive prophecy. And half of that is already fulfilled. And that which is already fulfilled is fulfilled with 100% precision. And so he deducted, if you will, if the Bible is a third prophecy, and half of that you can already tell if it's fulfilled, and it is, then it's likely that the rest of the predictive prophecy in the Bible will also be fulfilled. So he began to study the Bible very carefully, and especially with attention to prophecy. He said he studied Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, Isaiah, Zechariah, Thessalonians, the, the, the epistles of Peter and Matthew and the prophetic statements of Jesus in all four Gospels. He said, the more I studied, the more I became convinced that I'm not only were the historical events and facts of the Bible true, but the prophecies about Jesus' first coming actually happened exactly as they were prophesied hundreds of years before. And that seemed to be strong evidence that the scriptural prophecies of the future would occur according to God's sequence of events revealed there. I was amazed to find that studying biblical prophecy brought more certainty that the whole Bible was truly God's Word. And that's based on historical facts written by faithful men, urged by the Holy Spirit in such a manner that all the parts interrelated in ways that verify not only the parts but the whole. I found that it makes best sense when taken literally. Now, what Doughton was studying at Yale was he was studying, you know, drama, and he was from the state of Iowa, and he'd been involved in the film industry, and he went back to Iowa, and he started a company, and he, and he made a film. And the film was based on Bible prophecy. It was called A Thief in the Night. And A Thief in the Night was profoundly, it's a little dated today, if you've seen it, it's actually kind of fun for Christians to pick at the 70s, uh, uh, fashions, even though those of us who are old enough all wore them. <laughs> and uh, the cinema, because now we're used to things that are exceptionally vile, but technically wonderful. And so people have kind of made fun, but thousands and thousands of people came to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and believe the Bible because of these films. And the books then that were inspired by them and followed, you may have heard of the Left Behind series. Because, you know, I drop little moody things in my sermons from time to time because of my good experience there. I know you had a good experience with your alma mater too, and someday you could talk about that. But there's a big, big building on the campus of the Moody Bible Institute. And it's a huge building called the Jenkins Center. And it was funded by one of the guys that wrote those books. It's kind of interesting. Now, what we have today in our text, which is in Daniel in chapter 9, is we have Daniel who is overcome with really terrible things that he's seen, suffering that's going to come to people that he loves, 
And he's seen these visions, right? And he's really troubled. It's, it's an outstanding feature of the visions that Daniel saw that he ends really troubled. Now, this is not the way I like to write stories. I like stories that end happy. The guy gets the girl and they, you know, they ride off into the sunset kinds of things. Not the Alfred Hitchcock, what was that kind of ending. But the, uh, the ending of the story, some of them with Daniel, I mean, he was sick. And he was grieved. And I have an idea why the writer of Daniel, who was Daniel inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote it the way he wrote it. Because the more you study the Bible, the more you see its literary beauty and complexity and sophistication and intelligence. And I think he was setting us up. I think he was setting us up. I think he knew that disequilibrium it would bring to our souls to come to the end of the story and say, and Daniel was very unhappy and he was very sick and he... And now we're going to see what does a guy do when his heart is broken and his mind is confused and he has a hunch that things in the future are going to have some really bad things in them. What a godly person does is what Daniel did in Daniel in chapter 9. You could say it this way. He gets up in the morning and he has his personal devotions is what he does. He gets a hold of his Bible in Daniel's case he scrolled to the passage in Jeremiah probably that morning. Now, Daniel, you know, when he was exiled, uh, when he was taken captive from, into Babylon, from, there was an old preacher that was probably alive at that time. You may have heard him, Jeremiah the prophet. And he had the writings of Jeremiah to the captive, uh, the, the children of Israel captive in Babylon. And we know that because when Daniel's heart was heavy and broken, he he resorted to Bible reading and prayer. <laughs> this is where we are when we arrive in Daniel in chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, by, uh, by descent of Mede, made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass, before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Literally 70 years. It was also figurative, but it was literally 70 years. Daniel got out his Bible and he read and studied Bible prophecy. And he believed it. And he acted on it. And it fueled his prayers. And so how many of you would agree with me today? It's likely from what we've heard about Daniel, we could learn from this guy. This is a guy we could learn from. So Daniel chapter 9 is the record of a prayer and of a prophecy. We have the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. We won't get it to it this week. We won't get to it next week. But today we're just going to slow this down a little bit because we're going to look at this rich, exemplary prayer I'm calling my sermon the potent prayer of a seasoned saint, the potent prayer of a seasoned saint. Daniel 9 is the record of a prayer and a prophecy, one of the most important and fascinating prophecies of the Bible. And everybody who sees this prophecy agrees that's true. Not all of them agree about what it means, but everybody agrees that it's a significant prophecy. And the big thing that it's saying, everyone agrees on that. And so you have in this passage in Daniel chapter 9, 
you have one of the greatest and most important and fascinating prophecies of the Bible, but it's preceded by, and it's no accident, it's preceded by one of the most expressive and exemplary prayers in the Bible. Remember back in Daniel in chapter 6 when he was, Daniel was being threatened not to pray and he goes to his room three times a day and he opens his windows and he prays toward Jerusalem. Were you with me when you read that story and were, did you think, I would love to have been a mouse in the corner or a lion in the corner or whatever, golden retriever in the corner. I'd like to have been in the room. And I would like to have thought, what did that sound like when this godly man went to prayer? Now we're going to know a little bit about that because we have an extended prayer by Daniel recorded in all of its interesting beauty. And obviously would be a model, an example for us. Someone said there are three great prayer chapters in the, in the Bible. It's a memory device, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, Daniel 9, and all of them, the heart of it is confession. And the heart of it is confession. We'll get to that. So Daniel's prayer takes place in the third year of Cyrus, shortly after the events that are recorded in Daniel 5. At first, when you look at Daniel, you think, what in the world? You know, you expect it to go chronologically straight through, and it starts to do that, and then it doesn't. Now you have prophecies and visions that have to do with stories that are told in the early part. But again, you remember, that's that special literary uh, arrangement, that the special literary device that Daniel used. And it was, it was sophisticated. It was meaningful. He's going somewhere with it. He was emphasizing three big things two times each in a special kind of poetic order. And if it's not something you understand, you can always just go back and watch these old messages because I know you don't have anything else better to do. Anyway, it's interesting to see that what Daniel is, Daniel is very thoughtful under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and giving us the truths that he knew you would have in your lap today and that you would need in your life today. This is going to help you. This is going to help you. I know there are times, even this week, some of you, one of our sisters lost a precious brother this week. And he's a believer, he's with the Lord, but she's grieving, right? Some of our people have had loss that it's too painful to even talk publicly about. And they're, and they're with us this morning. And some of you have, saying goodbye to a child to go off to college is, boy, that's bittersweet. That is bittersweet. It really is wonderful and awful. I know all about it. I'm, a, I'm an expert at that. Uh, and, and who knows, sometimes people carry in their hearts the darkest things they can't talk about, and you brought that with you today. And, and, and there's all of that, and I would just say what I'm going to show you from Daniel's life today will help you so much with that. will help you so much. You don't pray. You are a plastic facade of a Christian life. A church without prayer is a plastic facade of a church. Prayer is the heart of this. It's, it's gonna, we're going to show you this. And anyway, so we've got to get cracking on this. I, I, I see five things very clearly that are examples from Daniel's life that'll, that will make our prayers meaningful, powerful, helpful. Daniel prayed, and we, we want to learn from him. So I want to show you these, these uh, five, five things uh, from our text that we already read. 
I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I visit people in their homes, and often we'll go to the home. I remember one time up in Fremont, we went to the home of a parishioner, good people. I love them to this day. We, we spent the evening with them, and they had quite a home. It was interesting. It was the old Gerber mansion, so, you know, they showed us their swimming pool. It's kind of an unusual home. Anyway, we had a nice evening with them, and uh, we did everything. We ate, and he showed us all this stuff, and it was pretty cool. I think we even took a ride on the pontoon boat out on Fremont. Then I remember we were getting ready to go, and he says to his kids were kind of small. Hey, hey, settle down, kids. Pastor's going to pray real quick. And when he said that, I kind of like, it's like, uh, you know, like somebody kind of shot me in the heart. I'm like, really? Like, am I allowed to be a little sarcastic right now? You won't be upset with me. We just didn't, we just took our time to do everything we did. We ate slow. We talked slow. We took a pontoon, but we're going to pray real quick. Uh, You know, pastor's going to pray real quick before we leave. Because like, you know, we're going to tackle a little prayer on the end here. Isn't that the way we do it? I know, I know. You're looking at me going, I know you. You're wordy. I get it. I get it. You know, guilty as charged. I go, I get it. But isn't it interesting how we do that? We do that in our lives. Like, I guess we'll just put a little prayer on the end here. I want you to look, take a look at what Daniel did. And I want you to ask your question, is that how Daniel did it? You know, some of those same people, I'm not making fun. Some of those same people, when, when life kicks them in the gut, you know how that is. They're like, Pastor, could you please come over here? And would you pray with me? Because, you know, my girl, I love her so much. And we, I just have done everything, and I don't know what to do. My girl, I mean, you got to, would you pray with me, please? Oh, yeah, I'll come over. And nobody goes, hey, Pastor, would you pray real quick? I was with a guy this week, desperate. Desperate, sad, and difficult. Very difficult. Spent some time with him. And at the end, I said, do you mind if I pray before I go? And he goes, please pray. Oh, I need it, he said. I'm like, we got you right where you belong. (laughs) That's That's the way the Lord wants us. Oh, please pray. I need it. And whether you know it or not, you need it. And so we want to be good at it. We want it to be as powerful as it can be. We want to learn from the best. So this is the potent prayer of a seasoned saint. I'll tell you one more thing, and we'll jump into it. That's a true personal testimony. A few summers ago, you, you, you didn't probably know it mostly, but I, I've been invited to speak at the Springs. I was at the Springs that week. The Springs is, in, is a little camp up, up north near Gladwin, and I was speaking at the Springs. And on the way up, I was driving up going, I love this, you know. I love to drive north. It, the Springs is just far enough north that you start to see birches. I love to get up far enough north in Michigan where you see birches. And the, in the birches, you could see the birch trees. And, and then when I got there, I got a phone call from a family member, and it was bad. It was a bad phone call. It was bad. One of the saddest phone calls I have ever gotten in my life. And so all of a sudden now, I'm speaking to teens, but my heart is plunged into great deep sorrow. And there were four things that week not two, not three, four things, and they were sad and hard. And I was ministering to the kids, and my heart was super heavy. And so I took a walk early one morning in the cool out by the birch trees, and I was praying, kind of asking the Lord, I love you, Lord, but what, what are you doing to me? <laughs> what are you doing to us? Why are you allowing? I mean, I love you and I trust you, but wow, these are awful, you know. And part of it is like, Lord, I'm innocent. <laughs> I'm innocent. <laughs> I haven't done anything. It's like, 
why would you let me go through this? Is the conversation I have in my heart. Here's what I believe. I believe that God speaks to us through what we've learned from his word and he brings to mind in a moment like that. This is what my word says. He kind of, and that when I say the Lord spoke to me, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about I heard an audible voice, although I would, would welcome that. That would be very cool. I just think more often what God does is he just points to his word and he answers our questions with the truth of his word, right? And I, and I felt like I got answers that morning, that morning as I was walking along in the cool of the morning. I look at the birches and go, God, what's going on? And he says to me, in the way I just described, what do you do when this happens? I'm like, I confess all my known sin. I get on my knees and pray. I read my Bible. I set aside everything else and I seek you. And he goes, that's it. That's what I wanted. I'm like, yes, sir. That's okay then. And my heart was lifted just a bit, even though the problems were all still there. Because I thought that sometimes... God will allow troubles to crush us so that we will seek him with all of our hearts. And I think Daniel is crushed with trouble and we get to listen to him. And I probably should get cracking on this, shouldn't I? So here are the five things that will help you when you pray. Five things that made Daniel's prayer very powerful. Number one, he conformed his prayer to the word of God. If you want to pray powerful prayers, conform, get them out of the Bible, pray the Bible. He said, looks like God is going to bring the captivity to the end. Hey, Lord, would you bring the captivity to an end? <laughs> Isn't that great? Because Daniel knew that when, when God, by, by the way, pay attention to the, 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 the um, benevolent and, and godly desires that the Lord stirs up in your heart. It might be evidence that God is up to something. And pray towards that. If that's a biblical thing, pray for the conversion of a loved one. That's not his will, but then he should pray. Good, if you're getting a hunch, I pray for that conversion of a loved one. Maybe then you can take some credit and say, I prayed for that. That's, that's the fun part. And you can do that. Um, pay attention to the inclinations of your heart. They may, as a believer that's filled with the Holy Spirit, and they may be evidence. God, when he's going to do something, stirs up a prayer desire in the heart of a believer. Then a believer prays, then he does it. It's uh, how God works. And he's stirring up Daniel to pray for what he said he was going to do. And Daniel didn't say, why would I pray if you already said, Daniel prayed. He prayed fervently. It's wonderful. In the Bible, Daniel prayed faithfully. Remember early in the Bible in chapter 2, big trouble comes. He gets his friends together, has a prayer meeting. And then in Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to throw you in the lines. Then if you pray, what does he do? He prays faithfully. He prays fervently. He prays frequently three times a day. In Daniel chapter 9 is a fervent prayer. Don't tell Daniel. If you meet Daniel, don't tell him thoughts and prayers aren't powerful. Don't tell Daniel that. Daniel was involved in the affairs of state, legislation, if you will. Daniel was involved in politics. Don't tell Daniel thoughts and prayers don't matter. Thoughts and prayers matter. If you're saying people that say thoughts and prayers but won't do anything, well, you have a point. But that's not the way Daniel was. So conform your prayers to the Word of God or get your prayers out of the Bible. Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12, it says, This whole land shall become a ruin and desolate. They violated the Sabbath, right? They didn't keep the Sabbath law. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12. 
We could go into more detail about prophecies of Jeremiah that came specifically fulfilled, but that's the way. So Daniel's taking his prayer out of his Bible. Daniel knew the 70-year captivity was coming to an end. This is why the scriptures are ever fresh, why the Bible is a living book. It's because of predictive prophecy and because of our lives change. And like yesterday, we didn't have the problem we have today. So the Bible speaks to that thing we weren't thinking about yesterday. Is it, have you ever noticed this, you know, can I call you old timers? You all, we've been around for a while and we keep reading our Bible. Somebody says, didn't you already read that? Like, yeah, but I didn't read it today yet. And God is working through his living word. And there are going to be things that jump off the page today that I never saw before, but they were there. Because that's the, you know that. If you walk with the Lord, you know that. Young people, look around. This is what you want to do. Get a Bible, wear it out, walk with God, build your family on what God says. Build your life, build your marriage uh, on what God says. Take your sorrows to God's word and prayer. This is why the scriptures are ever fresh. Prayers that conform to the Bible are powerful prayers. Praying the will of God in the name of Christ is allowing our prayers to flow out of what God has revealed already is his word. Don't, don't pray a lot of stuff the Bible didn't say you should pray. Pray a lot what the Bible says you should pray. Because your chances of getting that answered are really high. Pray for what God says he wants. Pray God's will. How do you know God's will? Read God's will. This is what Daniel did. And not to get too far ahead of myself, but notice the very last part of, of verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, oh my God, because of your city, your people called by your name. That's powerful praying right there. Okay, that's conform your prayers to the word. Second, give your total attention to God. I got to tell you, I've been a little distracted this summer with a little hobby I took up. There's nothing wrong with it. But every once in a while, it's like the Lord's like, Ken, what about me? Oh, yeah. You ever do that? You haven't? I have. Um, give your total attention to God. It is the, the Emmaus walk. You ever notice there's people will camp out the church this week, quite active this week. The people are here seeking God in a thing called the Emmaus walk. They're seeking God. God always honors people who seek him. That's why God goes to big fancy camps and little simple camps too, because God notices where two or three are gathered together seeking him. And he'll bless you for coming today to seek him in your sorrow, in your trouble, in your, in your fear of the future, in your cancer, in your loss, in your heartache over your kids uh, struggling, in your concerns about what you're forgetting and what you're remembering. He's in all of that. Give him your total attention. Something very powerful that happens that Pastor Walt led the church in a relational elder training. And, and, I, and when I heard about that, unusual, and I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it was like two years. I think it was like two years. I believe one year. It was a year and, and, and a night a week and a couple hours a night. But, but it was an intense time when a number of the men in the church set aside time. And when I heard about the commitment, I thought, wow, that was a, that was a lot. And I, I told Walt, Pastor Walt, I, I told him, I said, I think, I think we eated the fruit of that because when I meet with the elders... They are not petty. They're not talking about little nitpicky. They're, they're, they're like they've been trained in relational. Pastor Lee, I know you were used of the Lord to uh, be a part of that. You know, and we're all aware of that, thankful too. Um, but this is the principle. If you devote 
you get serious about seeking God, God will get serious about blessing you. <laughs> it's just the way it is. You devote yourself to something like that. So Daniel, look at verse 3. Verse three. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That means he must have turned his iPhone off for a while. I mean, fasting, sackcloth, ashes. He said, the one, it was like, okay, right now, this is serious. I'm going after this right here. I'm not even going to eat. When I'm not eating, I'm serious, just so you know. And when I'm eating, I'm serious too. But I'm really serious. If I'm not eating, like you, you catch me setting aside food, you might want to go, oh, Ken's not eating. <laughs> he likes eating. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But, but, if, but if our God is our belly, then we need to spend some time with the Lord. And uh, so give your total attention to God. Listen to this. Hear this. Uh, young people, listen to this. Second, First Chronicles 28, 9. Listen, everybody, but young people, I, lo- I love you, and, and um, I, I still want to open your heart up, you know, and put in there a desire to follow God that will never go away, even when your mom and dad aren't there to wake you up for Sunday school, you know. I just wish I could do that. And you, Solomon, my son, David says he's going to die, and he's going to tell, tell Solomon, my son, Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. He's giving dying advice to Solomon. Seek God and you will find him. We, we, we want God's attention when we want God's attention, but God wants your attention. You give God your attention. You're going to start a marriage. You might want to pray about it. You might want to give God your attention. He will give you his attention. You, you say, I'm going through a great sorrow. God wants your attention. Give him your attention. So give, God, give attention to God. This is the second thing. And Daniel's attention involved prayer, supplication, fasting, sackcloth, ashes. He's focused on God. There's an old saying among African Christians, and there are thousands upon thousands, millions of African Christians. There's an old saying among a group of African Christians that a man, when he would, when he would go and spend time with the Lord, or a woman would go and then just spend time with the Lord, they would have a special place out uh, away from the village. And they would go out to this place away from the village, and they would spend time with the Lord. And they would go regularly. They would go so regularly that it would be like there would be, the, everybody had their own path away from the village. Every once in a while, somebody would begin to drift from the Lord. A man would be short with his wife or yield to temptation or wander from God. And they, would, they had a saying, yep, the grass is growing on his path. Is the grass growing on your path today? Sometimes it could be just that simple. Wear out your path to God. Be serious about seeking him. Prayers that come out of the Bible are powerful. Prayers that come from serious people that are seeking God seriously. These, these prayers are powerful. Here, here's a third thing. When you pray, this is what Daniel did, compare yourself to God, not to others. You, you know, don't protest your innocence or compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to God. Listen to verses 4 through 11. 4 through 11. And listen to what Daniel does in this prayer, comparing you know, this is what's true about God, and this is what's true about men, (laughs) okay? Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord, my God, made confession 
saying, oh Lord, the great and awesome God, he says, you're great and awesome, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is what you're like, God. We have sinned and we have done wrong and we have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. You're this, we're that. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to the kings, our princes and our fathers, to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong, but you, but you, O Lord, to you belong righteousness and to us open shame. As this day, the men of Judah to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings and princes and fathers because we've sinned against you. I have a feeling that it would be good for America collectively to pray like this. When you see the absolute chaos in our nation today as people disregard God's law and reap the whirlwind. Just a confession to God. This is who you are, God. This is who we've become. To the Lord, verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. Lord, we want to remind you how merciful you are, how quick to forgive you are. Not obeyed the voice of the Lord, verse 10, by walking in his laws and set it before us, his servants and prophets, and all Israel has transgressed your law, turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath are written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers and ruled us by, by bringing upon us the great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what's been done, you know, by God against Jerusalem through pagans, right? This is what I, I just interpolated, verse 12 there. Let me read it directly so we're not confusing you. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight from your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept... Ready the calamity that's brought upon us. For the Lord, our God, is righteous in all his works that he's done, and we have not obeyed his voice. He makes it plain that he, listen, when you get in trouble, here is the tendency that humans have. God, why are you letting this happen to me? What are you doing? I've often talked to people, I got mad at God. Like, oh, that's probably not a good idea. I just told God this, like, are you sure that was a good idea? I understand you have the range of emotion expressed in the Psalms, but there, but but you'll notice there is a there is a there is an atmosphere of reverence in that. This is what Daniel had as he prayed, and why his prayers were potent, I believe. They came out of the Bible. He was serious, and he compared himself with God and not others. Moses was this way. In Genesis 18, I have taken upon me to speak to the Lord, but I am dust and ashes. Isaiah, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among people of unclean lips. And now my eyes have seen the king. Paul was this way. I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reverence in Paul's prayers. John was obviously this way, falling down when he saw the vision of the risen Christ. And I saw his, and I fell as dead as his feet. Now, if you want to know God, revere God, pray reverent prayers. 
I, I got a pet peeve when people pray and they go, they slur at the end, your name I pray, amen, like one word. You're talking to the living God of the entire universe and you can't even stop to carefully pronounce your name, I pray, may I pray, amen. Don't pray to God that way. It might be a great idea for you to realize the creator God, who is your creator, will one day be your judge. Speak with respect to him. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's great, and he is awesome. Speak respectfully to this God. And, and those prayers, obviously, would be much more likely to be potent and powerful. Learn to have some respect for God. Daniel speaks, and he's a big deal. Daniel's a, you know, big, well-known, but he doesn't speak glibly to God. He speaks with great reverence. Remember the Pharisee is a religious guy in the story Jesus makes up in Luke, the Pharisee and the publican. Remember the Pharisee is the religious guy, and the Bible says that he prayed to himself. How often have we just prayed to ourselves the plastic facade of a Christian life because our prayers are not taking in the great holiness of God, but we're only thinking about, about us. It's something to think about. There's a contrast made throughout Daniel's prayer. And then I would say, too, and my, my daughter told me this this week, so I was like, oh, she texted it to me. I was like, hmm. And uh, she's kind of telling me, I'm speaking out of school just a little bit, but it's me I'm talking about, so I'm allowed. Um, like, listen to, listen to people who correct you, even if they're Balaam's donkey. I'm like, really? When did you grow up and think you could give me advice like that? I'm like, that's interesting. So I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, I hear, I see it. I'm looking at that text, like, okay, you know, uh, that's kind of interesting. Do you listen to God's prophets? Do you listen to people God may have sent into your life? Do you listen to your wife, husband, kids? Do you humble yourself, and if God sent a donkey into your life, just speak. I've had some Balaam's ass moments in my life where somebody told me something, and I'm like, why should I listen to you? But it just sounds better in the, in the king's English, doesn't it? It's like, but God was warning me about something. So I think Daniel was the kind of guy that, you know, he said, God, you're holy and great. I'm human and flawed. And, and when I pray, I have the comparison. I'm thinking about how great you are and how unworthy I am. That's the, that's the ground of some powerful praying. Pray from God's word. Be serious. Compare yourself with God, not others. Fourth, plead for mercy. Don't demand justice. A lot of times you hear people like, God, this is what I expect. Like, if you really want to get what you deserve, you get it? The answer is no. I don't want Do you want to get what you deserve? Just say no. No. I don't want to get what I deserve. I want what? I want mercy. I want great. Yes, yes. I want what I don't want, what I don't deserve. Like, so just like reverent. This is how Daniel's praying. Notice it. Um, Notice it, verses 12 through 18. And we're just, my goodness, there's so much here. As we've read up to 14, listen to 15. And now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made a name for yourself as this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous act, let your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, and your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword. It, it, it sounds like America today. I hate saying it. It just sounds like America today. 
once great America, once godly America. I, uh, I, I, it's, it should grieve people should be praying like this now in America. This is the nation our grandkids will grow up in. Grow up in. So he says, a lot of old people in church, yeah, they got some sense now, so they're in church and they're praying. That's what we do when we get old. <laughs> praying. And like praying, and young people may also see God. Don't protest your innocence. You tell a lot about a person by how they respond when they're confronted about their sins. Quick story, I had a thing called the Biblical Leadership Training Retreat once. I was a youth pastor, and I had this idea that I only invite these leaders. And if a kid asked me, how come I wasn't invited? I'm like, because you're knucklehead, you know. But if you do this and you do that, you can be a leader. Okay, you can come. That's how it worked. Anyway, so the kids all came, large group of kids. And I gave them a lot of, um, I gave them a lot of latitude. And I said, you know, you're leaders. So I'm going to go to bed. You, your bedtime is 10, and I'm expecting you to go to bed at 10. And I'm going to tuck you in because you're leaders, you know. So what the kids decided to do was I went to bed, and they went and hid somewhere. Actually, went, it was at the Life Action Ranch where we borrowed it, and they, they hid in the attic of the chapel. And they were going to play a joke on me. When I was going to check on them, they would be nowhere, and I wouldn't be able to find them. So I thought, well, I'll just play a joke on them. And I went and got the bus, and I drove it over to the chapel, and then I, I said, you guys get in the bus. You, you said you're leaders. It's practically midnight. You're obviously not leaders. I'm taking you home right now. You can explain this to your mom when we get there. Get in the bus. I was real serious, you know. The kids quiet, you know. This is a knucklehead thing to do, I know. I'm just telling the story. I'm not commending it to you. And so I go, get in the bus. And so the kids are all like, they're filing into the bus like convicts, you know. Oh, you know. And like the Volga boatmen, they're all getting on the bus, you know. And they're all kind of quiet. You can tell they're just on the edge of like, what in the world, you know. He's I'm like, get in the bus. We're going home, right? You can explain this to your mom when you get there. And all of a sudden, this girl, her name was, uh, let's say, Gertrude. She's like, this is not right. We were just playing a game. It was like, nee, nee. she just started in. I was like, oh my word, this is awful. She's like, it's not right. We were just playing, getting around. I was like, and then there's another kid, and this is an exemplary kid. His, his sister's actually in our church. It's Lauren. And Lauren, who was just an, to this day, he's a godly leader of a guy, just a great guy with a good attitude. He goes, guys, listen, we're, we're wrong. Pastor Pierpont said we're leaders and we need to go to bed at 10, and we didn't do it. So what he's doing is not wrong. What we did was wrong. I was just laughing. And so finally I turned and I said, okay, I'm just kidding. You guys are kidding me. I'm kidding you. Go get in bed. And they went, you! And they're all like, but I remember Lauren. And I thought to myself, he's going to do well. Because of the way he responded to when he was wrong, he didn't blame somebody else. So how is it with you? When your wife brings up that thing or your husband mentions that or your kids or somebody texts you this and you got, or the pastor's needling you, you know, and you're like, how, how do you do with that? Because you're telling us something about you. Daniel, of all people, was pretty exemplary and could have said, I'm a pretty good egg. I'm making compare to these other jokers. Look at me, you know, but he didn't do that. He said, no, you're right. We're full of sin. And so then, did I, did I get through four? Let me give you all five because you've been really good people. Number one, conform your prayer to God's word. Number two, give your total attention to God. Number three, compare yourself with God, not others. Number four, plead for mercy. Don't demand justice. And then five, make the, and this is powerful, make the glory of God, the honor of his name, your main concern. Make the glory of God and the honor of his, that's what 
the honor of his name your main concern. This is what Daniel did. You see it in 19. Oh, Lord, hear, oh, Lord. He's, he's, he's winding in this. It's like he's sliding headfirst for home. It's like he's going full bore and sliding headfirst for home. And he's like, boom. It's like he's going after this. What do they call this? Full send. He's on full send right now. Oh, Lord, hear. No, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention to that. Delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, your city, your people call by your name. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Those are powerful prayers. If you're not sure it's God's will, maybe just wait about praying that and find something in the Bible that's God's will and pray that because he loves to answer prayers that are his will. So think about that just for a minute. I heard, I heard a story about an old a old uh, fellow was walking through the circus way. The circus came to town, but then a, a big storm came blowing through, and things got super cold. And now everything kind of went upside down. They, they had all this stuff there, but, but people were cold. And, and he noticed there was a monkey in a cage, and he's looking at that monkey, and the monkey was cold. And the monkey found a plastic fireplace with a plastic fire. And the monkey went over and tried to warm his little hands <laughs> by the plastic fire and he thought that's the modern church a church without meaningful prayer is a plastic facade of a fireplace promising something it cannot deliver Bethel people be Daniel like in your prayers be like Daniel in your prayers and if you're afflicted right now I am grieved for you I, I sorrow with you but whatever you do, don't waste your sorrow, but take a walk by the birches and tell God you trust him and tell him that you loved him and tell him that you will follow him and one day you will be glad that you did because when our prayers flow from the word of God and express the will of God and when we give full attention to God in prayer, we fix our gaze on God alone in all of his glory and humbly seek the mercy of God, and we're concerned for the glory of God, then God will do for us what only he can do. And when God does what only he can do, it will be infinitely and it will be eternally good. And you will be glad that you did. John Rocky, come and... and